podcast one production. G'day, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to The Big Questions. Today we talk big. In this episode of The Big Questions, we talk about the word big. Big, big, bigger than big. How about infinitely big? One of the world's great mathematics communicators was in town and I thought I'd sit down with her and discuss the concept of infinity itself. Enjoy. Eugenia Cheng is a mathematician, which makes her pretty cool as far as I'm concerned. She's a mathematician with a mission of bringing mathematics to the general public. Eugenia Cheng has performed mathematics with Stephen Colbert on late-night TV in the US to an audience of millions, which takes me from thinking she's really cool to, I'll be honest, a little bit jealous. She joins us today... Uh, to talk about her new book, Beyond Infinity. Strap yourselves in for a ride, people. We're exploring infinity today with Eugenia Chang. I can't wait to ask you some big questions. How are you? Great, thanks. It's wonderful to be here, and it's really excellent to be somewhere where maths is considered cool. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's go back to your childhood. Were you prodigious? Were you rapacious as a mathematician from the earliest of ages or did you fall in love in the teenage years? When did it happen for you? It was at very early age, yeah. yeah. My mother is mathematical and so she showed me really cool mathematical things outside of school because to be honest, the maths we did at school was not the most interesting stuff. So I sympathise with everyone who thinks that maths is a bit boring because it can be, which isn't to say that it always is. There are great maths teachers out there who mm. make it really fun, but not all maths classes are like that, let's all admit it. I, so, I, I had a moment in second grade, so I'm about seven years old, when we started going through times tables. Mm -hmm. And I asked what seemed a completely logical question of why do we stop at 12? Yeah. That was fair to say that was a minority view <laughs> yes. in my second grade class. That, mm -hmm. was, that was when I was first pegged as a bit of a... Uh, challenging child. Well, why is such a great question? Mm. And that was what drove me into mathematics because I was never satisfied with anybody's answers to why until they became mathematical answers. And anytime we were asked to accept something, I didn't like it. I don't like believing what other people tell me. I want to know why. It's interesting that you, when you talk about mathematics as a way to understand why, because and I said this a couple of years ago when I was promoting one of my books, which are available on adamspencer.com. You, if you'd like an autographed copy. The book was called The World of Numbers. Mm -hmm. the, the argument I came around to putting a lot of times in interviews was I, I think the essence of being human, right, the, the, the defining difference between us and dogs and mosquitoes and other mm -hmm. awesome things is we've got enough going on up mm -hmm. here to stop and look at the world and go, what's what's going on? Yeah. What's this I all agree. How's it? Ooh, what's that about? Why? Why is this going on? The, es the right. essence of being human is to yeah. want to understand all this stuff around mm -hmm. us. And of all the different tools you've got in the toolbox mm -hmm. to measure the world, to explain the world, to try and predict the world, to work out what has happened or what might happen, to convey to you what's going on, numbers are, are, the, are the best and mathematical thought is the best of all the different tools I think we've got to answer that most basic human question. I would definitely expand that to mathematical thought because it's so much more than numbers. Yes. 
it's about patterns and spotting similarities between different situations and going, wait, that thing over there reminds me of that other thing over there. Something must be going on. Mm. And making connections between different things, I think, is an amazing thing that humans do that enable us to understand way more stuff than if we just had to understand each thing by itself. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to launch ourselves into one of my favourite concepts, infinity. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll tell you in a second why I like it so much, but let's quickly, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to distill your entire life and achievements down <laughs> to, you know, being on TV with Stephen Colbert, <laughs> but how did, you had a book, How to Make Pie. How to Bake Pie. How to Bake Pie. pie. And was it, did you, someone in your publicity team had the kahunas to approach? That was it, yes. The show, how, how did that all, did, did they float it past you and you said, yeah, whatever, get back to me when that's going to happen? And what happened? They were well, all along, they floated it as a possibility, but they didn't really talk to me about the process. And I remember I had just come back from England where I had done the book tour launch in England of the book mm-hmm. and I was jet lagged. So I slept for a really long time. And then I woke up at four in the afternoon or something. And, and that, that sort of foggy waking up where yeah. you feel like your, your blood's of, been replaced exactly, by fairy floss. In, through a cloud, I opened my email and there's this email from the publicist saying, would you be able to go on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on November the whatever it was? And I went, huh? How far out? How far in advance had they booked you for that? It was, I think it was in about July that they booked me for November. So you had a good five, six months to sit around and think about it. Right. And the thing that, that really made it sink in was how excited my friends got mm. because I I don't really understand the context of late night TV. Sure. I don't watch that much TV. Yeah. I don't get too excited about sure. that kind of stuff. Mm. I thought this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then my friends were falling over themselves and I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> when, how far out did you negotiate what you were going to do? And then we'll walk through what you actually did on the show. How does that whole process come together? Are they in constant touch or did they just ring you a day before and go it was Have a you day got before this? it was a day before okay so they we floated some ideas but they didn't actually pin it down until the day before and that makes sense if you think about it because they do a show every day so they're not going to think about the show that's next week they're thinking about the show that's today you've had until six months done it. to be preoccupied by the whole thing and they're just going tomorrow what eugenia chink yeah okay So we had a chat the night before and I was again very jet lagged. I'm sort of in a permanent state of jet lag actually because I fly around so much and I had just come back from Vienna where I'd given a TEDx talk. As you do. And they called me up and they said, we'd like you to make puff pastry on the show. And I went, that's great. And then I and then I kind of freaked out and went to the supermarket and I bought tons of pastry ingredients so that I could practice rolling because you have to fold the pastry fold the pastry and roll it to to be even so you fold it in thirds and roll it out and so I thought I've got to practice rolling out and looking really calm and suave at the same time up until that moment before you went to the supermarket would you have thought one of your natural skills was making puff pastry or were you coming off a very low base I do make puff pastry okay. and I wrote about puff pastry in the first book and right. I have made a video about puff pastry, but that was just me and a video camera. You know, it's completely different. Not an audience of millions yeah, of people. exactly. Mm. And pressure and everyone wanting to laugh. You get there on the day. Do you get to meet him much beforehand? You do no, a couple of rehearsals no, or is it just were, raw? There were rehearsals, but they weren't with Colbert himself. Uh-huh. So a producer stood in for him when we did the rehearsals and they kept saying to me, be really energetic. He's going to try and derail you. Don't let him derail you. You've got to be ready. You've got to go loads of stuff in. And so sometimes people say to me, you're kind of 
kind of crazy energetic on that thing. I was like, yeah, they kept telling me to be more energetic and not to be derailed. Were you nervous? I wasn't nervous. No, I was very psyched up for it. Yeah, I was great. really excited. And it was a really cool thing to be doing. And I had some friends and family there in the audience. And it was really funny because I didn't meet him, except that he came down to my dressing room for a second before the recording started. And he came in to meet me and he said, and it was really funny, he came and he said, can I have a photo with you? And, yeah, and I, felt okay. like, I felt like going, no, nah, I don't know. I have to think about that. <laughs> and then I tried to, I tried not to look like a total idiot because I was so excited. I was like, I'm not, I'm going to look calm. Like totally, this take this in my stride. How'd that and go? then I looked at the photo afterwards and I'm grinning like an idiot. It's the biggest grin I've ever had on my face. Understandably. It was, it was a great moment. And it, oh, was, and, it, and it was just a great moment in getting fun, a little bit silly mathematics out yeah. there for people. Well, let's dive in now to infinity. And the reason I love infinity, I think this is probably the first concept in anyone's life. You know, you think of that moment when your kids come home and start mm -hmm. talking about infinity. It's the first mathematical concept that they have to really wrestle with yeah. that doesn't quite make sense. Mm -hmm that they find themselves having arguments or getting confused over and trying to work through. I think that's quite a beautiful thing in that sense. I think it is a beautiful thing. And I think it's important to nurture that beautiful thing because sometimes adults can get scared because they don't know the answers to the children's questions. And it can be tempting to go, okay, enough questions, we have to go to school now, or bedtime, or dinner time, or bath time, or something. Before we get into in too much depth, have we always had... As long as we have had mathematics, have we always had a concept of infinity? Because I know there were some cultures that really struggled with the idea of zero. Mm -hmm. And there were some cultures who said, negative numbers, nah, yeah. sorry, not us, no way. Yep. And then eventually, oh, okay, maybe yeah. you've convinced me. And we only came up with some of the weird stuff people do in high school, like the square root of minus one. Mm -hmm. That's only a few hundred years old mm -hmm. compared to mathematics. Have we always had infinity or was infinity itself a challenging concept for people? My guess is that... Many people have thought about infinity for ages. We do know that it definitely goes back at least 2,000 years because Zeno was thinking about paradoxes involving infinity. Beyond Before that, I'm sure that there are people out there who know the answer to that. I am not quite sure. But I bet that since children think of the idea and get really intrigued by it, I imagine that it goes back a long time because I like to think that the way that children develop their understanding of maths mirrors the history of the development of maths mm. in humanity. And I'll, I'll park the concept over here of the infinitely small, which we'll get to eventually, because mm -hmm. I know at the time that was quite controversial when we first started yeah. cutting things into infinitely small bits. But what is infinity? Good question. It depends. It can almost be anything you want it to be. Ooh. Well, not quite anything. But there, one of the myths about maths is that there are right answers and there aren't right answers in maths. There are different possible worlds in which different things could be true. And what we do know is that some answers cause contradictions and then your world implodes and you've gone into the zero world or something. And that's not so great. But any answer that doesn't cause a contradiction is a valid possible answer. And so there isn't just one possible answer to infinity, but there are some things that aren't valid because they cause everything to collapse. Okay, so what is it? does it make more sense to ask what is infinity not? Well, infinity is definitely not a normal number. That we can say. And 
to understand that, we have to understand a bit about what normal numbers are. So mostly we think of normal numbers as things that we can we use to count. Seven. Seven. There's it's a pretty number. normal number. Nice. Yeah. Seven or half. That's all right. That's a slightly more advanced type of number. I'll give you that. So the, as we develop the idea of numbers, we usually start with uh, the, what's called the natural numbers, which is the positive whole numbers, one, two, three, four. And they're kind of the most natural because they're the ones we used to count things. And then maybe we think of the negative numbers. And that can be a bit taxing because you can't have minus seven cookies in front of you. You no. can't see what that looks like. So it's a bit more of an abstract concept. You have to understand the idea of a lack or a debt or something like that. And it makes sense when you think of money, for example, if you have $30 but you owe me $50, then that sort of creates a concept of minus yeah. 20. It's the difference between the 30 and the 50 in that yeah. sense. And then there's the fractions. So it's possible that fractions are easier to understand than negative numbers because you can have fractions of things in front of you. And half a sandwich. Half a sandwich. Yeah, I never have half a sandwich in front of me because no, I always true. eat all of it. Yeah. But I'll see you in a quarter of an hour. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. And actually, one of my earliest maths memories is when, when I was five in kindergarten and we had an exercise. It was quite fun. We were supposed to draw around our hand, cut out the picture of our hand and then measure things relative to our hand span. But I got really frustrated because, of course, nothing was a whole number of hand spans. And ah. so everything, so people started saying, oh, this is four and a half. But of course, I was looking at it and going, well, it's not really a half. It's kind of not quite a half. And then it wasn't quite a quarter. And then it wasn't quite anything else. And then I got really frustrated. Mm. And that's where we get the idea of irrational numbers mm. that fill in the gaps between the fractions. So fractions are things that we can express as a whole number divided by a whole number. And then it turns out there's things in between. And that's pretty complicated. Now, probably the most well-known, irrational, as you say. And when, when people hear about that and they start thinking rational and irrational, as in, is your brain functioning mm -hmm. sanely, we should stop and say that the reason three quarters is called a rational number is you can write it as three over four, which is like a ratio of three compared to four. So irrational means can't be written mm -hmm. in a ratio, can't be written as a fraction rather than irrational you can't predict its behaviour right. or, you know, tends to get a bit but, moody on the weekends. But in a way, it's true. We can't predict its behaviour because that's one of the things that if you try and express it as a decimal, it goes on forever without repeating itself. So you can't predict what happens. Probably the best known of all those is one of the best known of all the numbers, pi. Mm. If you try and work out how far it is around a circle compared to how far it is across the circle, well, that ratio, that comparison of how far... It's just three and a bit times around, but you can never put an exact finite fraction or decimal on that. 3.1415, and it just keeps going forever. That's our irrational numbers. Right. And there are more irrational numbers than rational numbers in a sense that we might get to later. Yes. But I like to say it's just like the fact that there are more irrational people than rational people. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, so we're filling in all these numbers, but infinity... Is it not a is number. It's not any of those ones. And what we look at in maths, actually, a lot of the time, is not just what numbers are, but how they behave. Because if you try and say what the number two is, it's quite difficult. But you can talk about what the number two does and how the number two relates to other numbers. So number two can be expressed as one plus one and things like that. And what we look at is, well, what can we do with numbers? We can add them together. We can subtract them. 
And if we have two numbers equaling each other, then we can subtract the same amount from both sides and then we'll get something that still balances. It's that whole balancing scales thing that you might remember from school. You might shudder about it, but these are the things that help us work out how things work with numbers. And if we try and do that with infinity, we quite quickly get ourselves into a weird situation. So we might say, well, infinity must be the biggest possible number. So we go, okay, well, if that's true, then we could do infinity plus one. And that should still be infinity because we can't get bigger than infinity because it's the biggest possible number. But then if we look at infinity plus one equals infinity. Okay, infinity. Just picture it there. It's your little like number eight on the side, the lemnus eight as we call it. Infinity plus one equals infinity. What are you going to do with that? Well, if those were normal numbers, we would be able to subtract the same thing from both sides. So we could subtract the infinity from both sides. Infinity plus one equals infinity. Take away the infinity from both sides you've got. So on the left, we'll just be left with the one. Yeah. Because we had infinity plus one. Mm -hmm. We get rid of the infinity. We've got one. On the right, we had infinity. So we take away infinity. We get zero. One equals zero. Woohoo! Oh. So that isn't wrong, actually. It sounds wrong, but it's not wrong. It just means we're in the zero world where everything equals zero. This is the world of candy that I grew up in because back in the day, I won't like to say which day, but in those days, all sweets had artificial food coloring in and I was allergic to it. So I couldn't have any of them. The world of zero. Mm -hmm. So no matter how many sweets anyone gave me, I could have zero. Kit Kat, zero. Zero. Violet Crumble, zero. It was all zero. Licorice yeah. all sorts, yeah. zero. Zero. It was not a happy place to be in. So we can't deal with infinity like it is a number in that sense because you lead to that zero world or that mm -hmm. contradiction of one being equal to zero. Yeah. Kids often come across infinity when they say, Dad, Mum, what's the last number? How big? How, when, when do the counting numbers stop? Yeah. And that's what leads you to a concept of the infinite, isn't it, in some ways? Yes, but we should be careful because infinity isn't the biggest counting number. What infinity is, is the number of counting numbers that there are because they go on forever. And that is actually the first way that mathematicians were able to pin down what infinity could be, one thing that infinity could be, without causing a contradiction where everything implodes and you're in the zero world. I, I sometimes say to you know, young kids when they're trying to get their head around the concept that it's, it's not a traditional number, I say it's, think of the word many. Mm. Many is not an exact number of things, it's a measure of things. And if there are many marbles on the table and you add three more, you don't have many plus three. That's a great way of thinking about it. You've still it. got many marbles. So infinity is more of a measure. It's in like that a sense. measure of quantity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that And it means beyond being able to put a whole number on. Yeah. The quantity. And one of the interesting things there is when do we as humans revert to many? when we're looking at a group of things. So if I see three cookies on a plate, I can pretty, I can instantly know that that is three cookies. I'm a bit obsessed with cookies, yes. I admit. Uh, it's but, becoming a theme. But if there were, say, 18 cookies on a plate, I wouldn't be able to say how many there were instantly. And I probably wouldn't care either. I'd just look at it and go, ooh, loads of cookies. And it depends what we're trying to count, how many, how many things we get to before we get to many. And one of the things I say in my book is... My Basque literary translator friend, Amaya Gabancho, told me that in Basque, the word for 11 is the same as the word for infinity. Really? Mm. In, I'm 
putting that in my latest book. I'm going to literally join that down there. In the Basque language, uh-huh. the word for 11 mm-hmm. is the same as infinity. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I knew this would come in handy. Okay, so should we visit Hilbert's infinite hotel? Would that help people understand things, do you think? Well, it might. I don't. I never like to say that something is going to help someone understand it because you never know. Everyone's different. This is one of the sort of most famous thought experiments on the yes. concept of infinity. So if, if the listener till now has got their head around the idea that infinity is not a strict number, mm-hmm. but it's a measure of things so big, they can't be explained by any whole number or fraction. Be- they're beyond that that measure. Mm-hmm. They're the number of counting numbers out there, i.e. going on forever. Yeah. Take us to Hilbert's Infinite Hotel. Yeah, this is a thought experiment, as you say, and thought experiments help us understand things that are new to us, just like normal experiments in labs help us ex- understand things in the physical world around us. Thought experiments happen inside our brain, so they're not situations that can really exist really in life, but they help us get our head around things. So Hilbert's Hotel is a hotel that has an infinite number of rooms. This is obviously not possible in real life, but let's just imagine. So this is where imagination is really important in maths, and I think this is a point that needs to be stressed more, that it comes from imagination, and really the limiting factor in maths isn't some notion of intelligence or the stupid notion of IQ or something. It's really imagination. So let's all try and imagine a hotel with an infinite number of rooms and they're numbered one, two, three, four, forever. And dear listener, you are the receptionist at this hotel. Okay. So you have kind of infinite, infinite rooms to manage. Sure. Now, supposing that your hotel is full and at this point you have to imagine an infinite number of people, which is also not physically possible because we don't have an infinite number of people. We have a very large number of people, but not infinite. And every room is Book, full. Booked out. Booked out. No vacancy sign out the front. Nope. Sorry. And we yet, are shockers. But another guest arrives. What? And they really want a room. So you could just say, nope, bye. Oh, or you could ask the person in room one to move up a room into room two and the person in room two moves into room three and the person in room three moves into room four and so on and so on. Now suddenly room one would be vacant. Room one is now vacant. All the other rooms in our infinite hotel have exactly one person in them so they're all full Mm -hmm. and we can take the new person and say, there you go. Right, so we have created an extra room because there was no end to the number of rooms. Now, you obviously can't do this in a normal finite hotel because whatever was the highest room number, that person would have nowhere to go. They would kind of fall out. But at any given time in the infinite hotel when it is full, we can squeeze one more person in. We can. We can even squeeze two more people in. You'd tell everyone... You know, you wouldn't go knocking on the doors individually to say you'd send an email. Yeah, that it would take too long to go knocking on the doors. Send an email to everyone going, can you can you go up two rooms, up two please? Rooms. Yep. If you're in 37, knock up to 39 if that's all right. We put those two new people mm-hmm. in rooms one and two. Okay, so we can add people to the Infinite Hotel. I'm with you. Right. And that shows us that infinity is a bit strange. And it's called a paradox But there are two different kinds of paradox. There is the kind where you sneakily do some slightly incorrect logic without people noticing, and so you get a result that's a bit stupid. But there's another kind where you don't do anything logically wrong, but you get a result that is counterintuitive. And 
both kinds tell us something that we have to be careful about. The first kind says that we have to be careful about being logical. And the second kind tells us that our intuition isn't always logical. And that, I feel, is a very important thing to remember, especially in the current world. Okay. Now, with if one person turns up or if two people turn up, we can fit them in the hotel. What if an infinite number of people turned up and said, we really all want rooms in this hotel? Great question. First of all, it's going to be very loud because an infinite number of people. And you might Big go, bus. So you might say, well, can we just ask everyone to move up an infinite number of rooms? But which room would they go into? So think about the person in room one. If you ask that person to move up an infinite number of rooms... If we got everyone to shuffle along enough to leave an infinite number of rooms to move these new people into... What is their new room number? And it can't be infinity plus one. We've already talked about Right, because that's not a number. So that tactic won't work because nobody will know which room to move into. But we can do something a bit cleverer. I'm looking just to my right at the moment and seeing the look on the face of our producer, Alex. So I think it's hanging in there on the Infinite Hotel at the moment. So what are you going to do? You've, you've got There's an infinite number of people have turned up. You're going to send an email out to the infinite number of people already in your Infinite Room Hotel. Where do you tell them to go to? What room can they go to such that an infinite number of people can now fit in? Well, what you do is that you ask everybody to multiply their room number by two. So the person in room one goes to two. Mm-hmm. Person in room two goes to four. Mm-hmm. Person in room three goes to six. Mm-hmm. So now all the even numbers in your infinite hotel will be full. Room two, four, six, eight, they've got people in them. And all the odd-numbered rooms... One, three, five, seven... ...are empty. And there's an infinite number of odd numbers. So we can fit all our new people into the odd-numbered rooms. So when the infinite hotel was already full, there was still room for an infinite number of new guests. That is correct, yes. You got it? You good? <laughs> he's, he's laughing nervously. Beautiful. <laughs> and laughing nervously is a great thing to do when thinking about maths. Mm. Sometimes I think that... In especially in the modern world, there's too much desire for certainty and knowing things definitely. Whereas if you feel a bit weirded out by things, that's great because maths is a bit weird and that should be a wonderful thing about it. It's a bit like if you can get yourself to enjoy the feeling of vertigo when you look over the edge of a cliff, then it's really exciting. Or looking over, you know, that's why that it, there's so much excitement about going up to viewing observation decks at the top of buildings and where they've even made ones that have glass floors so that you feel like you're going to fall out. Now, I personally am quite scared of that, but loads of people love standing on those glass floors. There's one in Chicago that sticks out and then you see the whole place underneath you or the one that sticks out over the Grand Canyon or something. And that's what maths is like. It's like kind of sticking out over that ledge and seeing this incredible view that you would not have been otherwise able to see. Okay. Now, dear listener now, I think has come this far with us to the Hilbert Hotel, the, the idea of an infinite number of guests moving. And so that's, that's a great, I don't mean to be patronising, but if you've not thought about this sort of stuff before, that's great if you've if that sits well in your head. If it's a little bit confusing, just rewind the podcast a couple of minutes, listen through it again, just take a few seconds, take a deep breath. And if your brain feels like it's contorting out of your skull, that's good. That's what maths feels like. And it's certainly going to in a couple of seconds when I return with Eugenia Cheng and we examine the notion that some infinities are bigger than others. Woohoo! More of that soon on The Big Questions. We're back on The Big Questions with Eugenia Cheng. We've examined the concept of infinity up to a point. Now, we just took you through Hilbert's famous infinite hotel. 
a hotel with an infinite number of rooms that when full can still accommodate an infinite number of new guests when they arrive. One thing I'd love explaining to people, but this is challenging when you first hear it, some infinities are bigger than others. Let's walk through this. Right. So first we should say, what does bigger mean? And a lot of maths consists of being a bit more precise about our language. And I'm sure you've all got into the kinds of arguments that come down to a definition of something, which can be a bit frustrating in normal life. But one of the... Some of my friends say they most often see my mathematical side when we're arguing about something not in any way mathematical. But I'll be saying, no, no, just stop. What do you... No, 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 no. Look, can I please clarify what you mean when you say avocado in a salad? No, no, no. You mean just like if there's, if there's a sliver? Is that... Or how, how much avocado... Come on. No, no. I'm not going any further in this discussion until we clarify that point. Right. That is very mathematical. Oh, yes. And it's a bit of a stereotype. But the reason it's there is because we're trying to get rid of ambiguity so that we can actually reach agreement we about things. We need a degree of precision. Right. Okay. And what does bigger mean? So mathematicians have come up with a way of saying bigger that's basically like pairing people up. So if you have a small number of people in two groups, two groups of people, and you want to know if one group is bigger than the other, you'd probably just count them if there weren't that many of them. But one thing you could do if there was a really large number of people and you couldn't be bothered to count them is you could ask them to pair up. Okay, so if you've got a massive year at your school of a couple of hundred people and you're trying to work out are there more boys or girls Mm -hmm. okay well can every boy grab a girl's hand and all go and stand over there Mm -hmm. and if you've got boys left over who can't find a girl there are more boys than girls if there are a few girls left over when everyone else is paired up there were more girls than boys you're comparing the groups by seeing can you make them match up one to one right And it's a bit like if you go to a restaurant with a large group of people, which often happens at conferences, and you can't get everyone to stand still long enough to count them, and you don't know whether you've got enough chairs at the table. You just ask everyone to start sitting down, and then you can see you've either got empty chairs left at the end, or you'll have people with no chairs. Okay. So that's one way you can compare two large groups Mm -hmm. by trying to, We sometimes if we use fancy pants math talk, a one-to-one correspondence between Mm -hmm. the number of boys and the number of girls, say. Yeah, right. So to see if one size of thing is bigger than another, we pair them up and see if we can pair them up in such a way that there's one to one, as you say, on each side and nobody is left out. Okay, so before we go off to the bigger infinity, let's show a, a beautiful, and this, this is really confusing but I, I, when you first hear it, but I love it. The counting numbers. Think of the set of all the counting numbers. One, two, three, four, five. We know it's infinite. Think of the fractions. That would contain one because it's one over one. It would contain two, two over one, three over But it would contain other things as well like three quarters and seven eighths and mm-hmm. 152 sevenths and all that sort of stuff. So clearly there are things in the set of fractions that are not in the set of counting numbers. And you'd say there's got to be more fractions because yeah. there's so many of them in between all the counting numbers. The fractions have to be bigger than the counting numbers. There's loads of them. In fact, they are exactly the same size. Those two infinities are the same. They are the same size. And maybe a slightly easier example to warm up to is the even numbers. 
Because if we think about the even numbers, you go, oh, well, that's just every other number. Two, four, six, eight, ten. And so you think that's half the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, there's all the odd numbers in your first right, group. So we've taken exactly half of the numbers. That's got to be less. Fewer numbers because we've thrown some away. We've thrown away all the odd numbers. But if you grab a piece of paper and down the left-hand side write the numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, and down the right-hand side write two, four, six, eight, ten. You can see there are numbers on the left that aren't on the right. But how do we match those two groups up precisely one for one? Well, they're all paired up in the way that we did the Hilbert's Hotel when we asked everyone to multiply their room number by two. Because if you take the numbers on the left, one, two, three, four, five, you can find their unique partner on the right by multiplying them by two. Draw a line from one across to two. Draw a line from two across to four. Draw a line from three across to six. Any number you ask for in the second group, I can tell you it's unique partner in the first group. Any number you tell me in the counting numbers, seven, I can say, yeah, it's already matched up with 14, mate, we're good. Right. And if you're disbelieving, one way that we test things in maths is we imagine a sceptical person who comes along and says, nah, I don't believe you. Nah, I don't believe you. There's going to be someone who's left out. How about 264 on the right? Who's 264 going to be paired up with? And you think about it, well, we were doubling numbers. It's got a buddy called 132. We're right. good, thank you, mate. Mm -hmm. There you go. So can you see there that those two infinities are the same size. There are as many even numbers as there are counting numbers. There are as many counting numbers as there are even numbers. Those infinities match up, as you said, in that one-to-one -one pairing. And that is the weirdness of infinity. So if you think that's a bit weird and it's making you feel a bit dizzy, that's good. You've probably got the right idea. But now let's meet an infinity that we know is bigger than the counting numbers. And that is the number of all possible rational and irrational numbers put together. When we start allowing these decimals that go on forever like pi, etc., we get to a bigger infinity. How can you convince me of that? Well, Cantor, there's a Cantor's ah. diagonal argument, which is a really clever argument showing that you cannot possibly pair those up with the counting numbers. Now, it's a diagonal argument, which means it involves a diagonal, and it's a very visual argument. So we're going to work quite hard to make this visualizable, even though we're audio. And one thing we can do is we can imagine trying to fit all of those numbers, the irrational numbers that go on forever, and all the decimals that go on forever, we can try and fit them into a Hilbert hotel. So I like to imagine that, that there was an even bigger infinite hotel where the room numbers aren't just whole numbers, but they're actually decimal numbers that go on forever. Okay. So we try not to think about how we're going to ask for our room key. <laughs> True. Because uh, that could take a while. Yes. But supposing there's a fire and we have to evacuate that hotel and the only hotel we have available to evacuate into is a normal Hilbert hotel where the room numbers are one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. The ordinary counting numbers. So this is a way of trying to pair up the decimal numbers that go on forever, with the counting numbers in a hotel. And so the proof says, well, supposing somebody claims that they have successfully evacuated. So this is like the sceptical person who says, oh, yeah, I think I can do it. I can totally do it. I've done it. See, I've done it. Done. And so what we can do is we can find somebody who was definitely left out in the cold. And what we do is we knock on room one, and we say, excuse me, your previous number in the other hotel, the one that was a decimal number that went on forever, what was the first digit of that number? 
So we get their first digit. It's a bit like when you are on the phone to the bank and they ask you for the fourth digit of your 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 um, secret code. Sure. So that they don't want to know the entire thing. They just ask for one digit. So we ask for the first digit of room one and we ask for the second digit from the person in room two and we ask for the third digit of the person in room three and so on. And this is why it's kind of a diagonal because if we lined up everybody's number and then we took the first digit of the first number and the second digit of the second number and the third digit of the third number, it would make a diagonal going through this big table of numbers. And what we're going to do is we're going to construct a number that is not anybody else's number. So we take the first digit of the person in room one's old number and we add one. So if that person said, the first digit of my number was a three, we're going to create a new number that starts with the number four. So we are thinking about the decimal numbers. So we're only thinking about the numbers after the decimal point. And the first, their first number after the decimal point was three. And so we're going to make a new number. And the first number after the decimal point is going to be four. So we know that it is not the first, the room number one person's number. Our new number is certainly not the number for the person in room one because we've changed a decimal point. We've changed the first number after the decimal point. The person in room two, we knew their second decimal point. And so we're going to add one to their one. We know this new number is not the number from the person in room two because it's different in that second decimal place. Now, if you're very sharp-witted, you might notice that their digit might have been nine. And if you add one to nine, you get ten. But we're going to call it zero. Sure. I'll give you that. So then the person in room three, we take their third digit and we add one to that. And so we put we stick that onto our number so we know that that is not the number that the person in room three used to have. So we're generating this number that we know is not the number for the person in room one. We know it's not the number for the person in room two. We know it's not the number for the person in room three because we're changing an appropriate decimal point each time. As we go along these rooms forever, we know this new number we're creating doesn't match any of the numbers we've met so far. Right. And that means that whoever was in the room corresponding to the number that we've just created, they have not found a room in our new Hilbert's Hotel. So we have not successfully evacuated the hotel. So whoever said they did it, they were wrong. Let me just walk you through it a slightly different way as well, Alex, to compound what Eugenia is saying, because I think we've got you halfway to the line, my friend. The reason the even numbers and the counting numbers are the same size of infinity is I can write a list of both of them and pair them up. And I do that knowing, as Eugenia gave with the example of 264, any number you want to name in the evens, I can name its exact one-to-one partner in the counting numbers. Any number you want to name in the counting numbers, I can name its partner in the even numbers. There's no duplication, no one misses out. I'm as confident that my list of all the even numbers has any even number you want as I'm confident my list of counting numbers has any counting number you want. Now, if you say to me, okay, I think the set of all numbers, including all the decimals that go on forever, I think that's the same size as the counting numbers. I would ask you, okay, just write them out. Write out your list in numerical order of all those numbers. Write the list. I am confident I can create a number that's not on your list of all the decimals. And I do it that way, Eugenia said. I make sure my first digit is different to the one in your first number and the second and the third. You cannot 
list all of the decimals in a countable order. You cannot make a list of them all. I can always find a number that's not on your list. But with the even numbers, I'm absolutely certain every even number you want is on that list. You can't suddenly produce an even number that I've missed. I can put them in a countable order. So we call the counting numbers countably infinite. But the full set of decimals are uncountably infinite. Uncountably. And it's funny, this this word countable, because we think of counting as something that you learn to do when you're about three, but it's actually really profound. And there's whole branches of maths dedicated to counting things. But at that level, counting doesn't literally mean I'm going to sit down and go one, two, three, four, five. Oh, there's five things. It really means things like, can I line them up with all the counting numbers? And if I can't line them up with the counting numbers, what can I line them up with? couple of other little tangents that people might want to just know exist out there. So people then ask, we've got these different sizes of infinity. Wow. Are there any infinities in between there? Or are these two, are these, like the two, are there other bigger, are there, are there a finite, can you count, can you arrange the numbers of infinities in an order? Or do they, are there an infinite number of infinities between those two infinity sizes? And people, some of the best mathematicians in the world who thought about these sort of problems, actually drove themselves into states of madness trying to do so, didn't they? Did they? Cantor. Did he get driven into a state of madness about it? He struggled. He struggled. Oh, dear. Girdle. Yes. I'd just like to interject and point out at this moment that it is not necessary to drive yourself into a state of madness to be a good mathematician. Absolutely. Just, Just like to point that out. Absolutely not. But if you get as far as understanding some infinities are bigger than others, you might want to just cool your jets for a while. Quick thing, because we are we're pushing up against the finite time here. What does it mean for something to be infinitely small? People can infinitely big means bigger than you can count. Yeah, goes on forever. What does it mean to make something infinitely small? The infinitely small is kind of the reverse idea of the infinitely large, and a lot of mathematical concepts come in pairs like that, where you turn them over and you get something that's kind of the opposite but related. And the infinitely small is like that thing where you eat half of your chocolate cake and then you eat half of the rest of your chocolate cake and then you eat half of what's left and you eat half of what's left and you think you can make your chocolate cake go on forever like that because there'll always be a little bit left, the half at the end. And that's actually one of Zeno's paradoxes that he stated 2,000 years ago. He did not state it in terms of chocolate cake, but poor guy, he probably hadn't had any chocolate cake. Whereas he stated it in terms of traveling from A to B. And he said, first, you have to cover half the distance and then you have to cover half the remaining distance and then you have to cover half the remaining distance and you'll never finish because there'll always be half of the remaining distance left. And then he went, but yet we do manage to travel to places every day. I made it to the studio here this morning. How does that happen? One of Zeno's paradoxes. So the way of looking at the infinitely small that I like is, okay, tell me the smallest number closest to zero. Can you tell me a number that's as close to zero as you can get? If you say, okay, it's uh, 0.1. I'll go, well, no, what about 0.05? That's closer to zero. I go, yeah, okay, good point. I think the closest you can get to zero is 0.0001. And I'll say, oh, I think I can get closer to zero than that, mate. 0.0000000037 is clearly a lot smaller than the number you said. Can you name a smallest number, is there as close to zero as you can get and numbers stop getting any smaller? No. Right, and you might not. you might say, hey, well, can't I just put an infinite number of zeros? I could go zero point infinite number of zeros 
and then a one at the end. Yes. Which is a good question. Mm. But, Can I do that? But if I did put an infinite number of zeros, where would the one go after that? Because the infinite number of zeros go on forever. So you can't actually do that. In the same way, get your head around this, my man. Think about the number 9.9. It's close to 10, yeah? 9.99 is closer to 10, yeah? 9.9999999 is even closer to 10 again. But if I've got 9.9 and the 9s repeat forever, so 9.9 repeating is equal to 10. This is one of the most contentious facts oh, in mathematics. You don't think it is? People, oh, I know it is, but people get into huge yeah, arguments it. about it. And I love that. And it all comes down to definitions. And as we said, that mathematicians are really precise about definitions. And it all comes down to what does it mean for something to be 0.999 going on forever? It doesn't actually mean anything. So we give it a meaning. And the only meaning we can give it that doesn't cause a logical contradiction is that. And that, and so mathematicians go, okay, cool. Uh, because that's the only logical definition. Now we could try and do something else. We could say, no, I don't believe it. It's not going to be actually 10, but that will cause contradictions. And so that's why we accept that it is 10 by definition. So it's not open to, it's not really open to op opinion. It's one of those things I, I like, know that everyone today likes to think that their opinion counts and that it's valid. It does. And you're all important and everyone, everyone gets a ribbon. Everyone's opinion counts, except that if your opinion causes a contradiction, then you've ended up in the zero world where everything is zero and you might not want to be there. There is one important point to make here, Eugenia, because these are fascinating thought experiments and I think it's great to take your mind for a wander and convince yourself, okay, I can see that some infinities are bigger than others. But people will often then come back with, great, but good on you, Brainiacs, off there in your corner having fun. How does that make my world any different? So, for example, you know, being able to break something down into infinitely small pieces, why should I care? So I think there are two ways to look at this. One is I want to remind everyone that maths isn't just about solving specific problems for you in your life. One of the things it does is remind us that of the need to be logical, because if we aren't logical, then things go wrong. If we just follow our intuition, we cause contradictions. And that's a really important reminder. And one of the main reasons for studying maths to, to remind ourselves and to practice being logical. To build rigor into your thought right. processes themselves. Sure. But, but, yeah, but also, some people go, yeah, you're squibbing that, but come on, give me the infinitely small. If you really want a practical application, then fine, because the study of the infinitely small is what led to the field of calculus. Calculus is that thing that horrifies everyone in school. Oh. Also, it's the study of things that continuously change. Any continuously changing quantity can be studied using calculus, and that's basically everything. And so calculus directly led to the understanding of electricity, electromagnetic waves, everything that moves, everything that's automated. So that really is the entire of the modern world. If you look at any object around you, it has used calculus. The microphones that we're using are using calculus. There's calculus involved in how sound is turned into digital sound to make more compact files for us. Digital cameras, that all uses calculus. Computers use calculus. Electricity, all the lights, everything that in our light bulbs, 
everything in the world around us. If we'd stopped at that infinitely small and gone, nah, too hard, we're not going down that path, you wouldn't have the mobile phone. You wouldn't have those That you're things. listening to this podcast on today. Right. Because we weren't able to understand the continuously changing things. We were only able to do them. And if you can only do them without understanding in advance what is going to happen, then you're kind of stuck flailing around hoping that things will work properly. I did mention briefly back earlier on when we are uh, Mathematicians got their head around the idea of the square root of minus one. We won't go there now. I accept that's a bit much at the end of a, con- a conversation about infinity. But that's a great example. When people first wandered off into that quite weird mathematical world and were quite possibly taking on things they didn't understand, and just, let's just see what happens when we do this, you create this entire new branch of mathematics called complex numbers and complex analysis. Centuries later, when we're trying to get aeroplanes off the ground, when we're dealing with really complicated concepts of fluid dynamics, etc., it's the complex mathematics that steps in and goes, got this covered for you. Right. So we go off and create this new field and then suddenly find applications for it years later. It often comes hundreds or even thousands of years later. In areas of science and human thought didn't even exist at the time that the guys in the 15 and 1600s first started to crank around with that. One of the great things about maths is it's all about having ways of knowing what is going to happen in a situation without just having to try it. And that's really important with things like aeroplanes and bridges and stuff. We want to know what's going to happen without having to just send it up and go, oh, no, it fell out. Yes, but the the thought of anyone... driving across a bridge and having the thought that, gee, maths and calculus suck, you can't do those two things at the one time. You can't dis mathematics and trust your life on a bridge not collapsing. Well, you can, but you've caused a logical contradiction and then you're in the zero world You're in that zero world. And can I just say one thing in closing this up? For people who who didn't have the love affair with maths or it's it's faded, I'm not being self-serving here. Do yourself a favour. Buy one of you don't have to buy one of my books. Buy one of Eugenia's books. Expose yourself to this sort of stuff. Because someone the other day, when I brought up the subject of maths, just said, "Oh, I suck at maths." And mathematicians will say this to you: When's the last time someone said to you, "Spelling? Oh, I'm terrible at spelling. English. My vocabulary is awful. Reading. I'm terrible at reading. I don't. I don't know how to use punctuation. <laughs> no one ever proudly boasts." Of their illiteracy. We should probably say most people because someone's going to tweet and go, I'm terrible at spelling. But some some, some people, and oh no, we won't understand the tweet, but people wear their fear of mathematics or their perceived inability of mathematics is almost a badge of honour. Yeah, and I think that's a shame and I understand it because maybe you were just bad at school mathematics. But I like to say that you, you didn't fail school maths. School maths failed you. Nice. And that maths isn't about numbers and things. It's really about thinking clearly. And so every time you say you suck at maths, what you think about this, are you saying you suck at thinking clearly? Is that something to be proud of? Exactly. And there's still not too late to get back in the game with books like Eugenia Cheng's Beyond Infinity. If this has excited you, if this has made you think about things that you'd really like to grab on even more firmly than you hold them now, this is a fantastic book. What's your next mission, Eugenia? My next mission is about thinking logically. So my next book, which is out this summer, is called The Art of Logic, How to Make Sense in a World That Doesn't. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I have thank you for having me. Infinite respect for you. Oh, thank you. Infinite respect for you right back. 
This episode of The Big Questions, as always, was produced and edited by Alex Mitchell in the Podcast One studios. Series producer Caroline Pegram and the theme music provided by the good people at Uncanny Valley. If you want to hear more Big Questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon. Big Questions.